0: Um, all right, Patrick, that, be good with your uh, with your
1: vocabulary now. All
2: right, yeah.
1: I usually don't have a problem with that unless I'm sitting in staging with a flat tire and nobody's helping me.
3: <laughs> well, you know there is that little dilemma.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, how much snow you guys have up there? I mean, I live an hour north of the city. It's probably snowed on me eight times already this year, and I'm already tired of it. I've got like three, four, five inches on the ground. What do you guys have up there?
3: Well, I don't know about where Patrick's at, over about 30 miles east of me, but uh, the first snowfall that come through here put about eight inches in my backyard. But now I'm, down to, like an, no, I'm down to like an inch and a half because we've had a couple of days of okay low, yeah. low to mid-30s, so it's compacted and become... Just junk. Yeah, that's
1: reasonable
3: where I'm at. Okay. So I didn't get get too much different than when we're
0: than what we got over here. And I heard a, I heard a rumor by midweek it's supposed to be 50 degrees. So I'm at least down there where I live. So I'm looking forward to that. I'm like I said, what is it? November p- 14th, 16th today. Yep. And I'm already tired of it. So. Yeah. I'm yeah. Gone. Maybe that's another age thing. I have no idea. Oh. I don't know.
1: Well, you got you to sell more trees when it's getting closer to Christmas and there's the white on the ground. Do you think you'd be getting excited about it?
0: Well, see, that's what everybody thinks. But the work leading up to the season when you're harvesting, you, you work twice as hard when it snows. You get half as much done. And on top of that, you get to get wet and cold at the same time. So... You know, we dream of a brown Christmas as Christmas tree farmers. And so, you know, hopefully it'll be brown again by the end of the week and it can get back to a little bit more closer to normal. So but, you know, it is what it is. We take it as it comes. You know, I think the guys that are the
3: happiest about this, guys and gals that are happiest about the snow that we've got up here right now is all the ones out in the woods chasing the big brown animal. Yeah. Uh, all the all the deer
2: hunters.
1: You know. I know I got one opening morning, and my dad got one last Saturday. And mine was a bear to drag out with no snow, and his was like pulling nothing with the snow. So <laughs> I can vouch for that. <laughs>
3: yeah, that's kind of where I figured that was headed.
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not a hunter, so uh, gun season is over, isn't it, in Minnesota? But now it's bow and arrow, is that correct?
1: No. Nope, we got. Uh, The rest of this week and the two days on the weekend for rifle season still. Oh, okay. All right.
3: Yeah, when's musket loader season?
1: Uh, It should be uh, when this weekend ends. It should be the following weekend. should be muzzleloader starting. Yeah.
2: Yeah,
3: so there's still a couple of weekends of deer hunting left, depending on the type of uh, hunting equipment you use. Yeah, you,
1: you you can archery till just about the end of the year.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yep. yep that's what I thought. So, yeah. Randy, where have you been all this time? Where have you been for so long? Like, we were just talking a little bit ago. When's the last time we had a podcast? Uh, Pre-COVID. Pre, uh, Pre-COVID. That seems like a couple years ago now.
3: Yeah. Yeah, Kaylee and I sat down and talked about it, and we didn't want it to become all COVID all, all the time. So we we decided to just back off and stay away from the political BS and yeah. the COVID BS and just wait. And then once we got into having the ability to have a racing season, we were just too busy because both of us still had our regular jobs that we had to do. Oh, you know, yeah. Working around, Absolutely. Working around the... Uh, um racing series and you know this season for being as short as it was we still put in the same amount of shows that we do in a normal season but we were two months right yeah so yeah yeah we did about the same thing we did a lot of racing in the last couple of months of the season
0: oh which is good which is good and so you haven't had one since a podcast since what last march so i can understand you having patrick on the the show this time but Again, I I don't know this whole part here. I I have no idea why you have got me here. So well, I'll do my best, but no guarantees that nobody's gonna fall asleep. So.
1: Well, uh, my my vote was to have Matt on, but you know I lost that vote. So
2: oh yeah,
3: well, <laughs>
1: yeah. I've, I've only got so
3: many phone lines,
1: <laughs> and I'm
3: not
0: even close to being the consolation in that one. So we'll do what we can. <laughs> So what in the heck are we gonna talk about today, Randy? Well uh,
3: we know that uh as little birdie told me, and, and yeah, really kind of an ugly bird too, but you know that uh <laughs> you guys hooked up together and, and got together with R and R performance and put another motor on the dyno.
0: Oh yes. Yes. So, we did and you know, I, I spoke the specific numbers, I'm gonna let Patrick talk about that. But uh, generally, what I'd like to say is, you know, you guys about, oh, five, six, seven years ago, we we're in the same position with our traditional series as we are now with our new wing series. Our, our new wing series is a couple years old. Um, it's doing, you know, I'm way above what I thought it was going to do, way better than I thought it was going to do. But, you know, our goal with the traditional program uh, five, six years ago was to get it to the point where we were really comfortable with where the different engine packages were at. And it took us a while to get there. And was it 2019? The end of the 2019 season, we froze the traditional, uh, program, the engine package in the traditional program. So, yep. uh, we want to be able to do the same thing eventually with the wing program. And we don't feel we're there yet. Uh, we're getting closer and closer um, you know, what I saw on the track this past year and what a lot of people saw on the track this past year with the wing program, I, I know I really liked it and I know a lot of the fans liked it and I know the tracks liked it. And before we freeze anything, we want to make sure that we've got it right. Um, so what, what, we, what we did with our wing program, nobody else in the world, again, nobody else in the world is doing what we're doing with our wing program. Our wing program is based off Basically, our traditional program, you know, the the short block Chevy or the LS engine. You take the two barrel off and you put the four barrel on. And we also allow the 604 uh, crate engine in the wing program. Where with the traditional program, it's the 602 crate. And then we added the 305 uh, Race Saver engine the IMCA to the order. Uh, yes, the IMCA Race Saver program. And Patrick Heikkinen. Um, who's on the phone with us tonight. Um, uh, Has a 305, and he was gracious enough to take the engine out of his car, drive it all the way from where he lives. Patrick, where do you live, buddy?
1: About 100 miles from Canada, up on the Great Iron Range, you know. But
2: literally, uh,
1: you got three cars that basically come down that all live within five miles, because I am... me, Harry Hansen and Rick Neme are all considered from Evelet. Uh Harry literally lives like a mile down the road from me and Rick's within like four miles. So
0: yep. Okay. they I mean, so yeah. way up there. You're way up there. And you were gracious enough with your dad to drive the engine down to Blaine to R and R, the three, your three oh five, um, to to get numbers. Um to get uh, torque numbers, to get horsepower numbers. And so we're not just pulling things out of the sky and saying, you know, this is what we have. Um, you know, on the track, what what we have, I believe, is really, really close and really competitive. But we wanted to get uh, uh, some numbers. And so I think it was October 27th, wasn't it, Patrick? Yep,
1: yep. yep. Um, yeah, tw- 26th, I think it was. But uh, somewhere around there, end of October,
3: Says, says yep, 27th we, on we, the dino sheet. So.
0: Okay. So we brought we brought the uh, 305 down, and Patrick, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but we must have done 20, 25 pulls with that thing, all different. Um, you know, you've made a bunch of adjustments to it. And, and so, I, you know, we all felt like we got the, everything out of it that we could. And so when it comes to the numbers, Randy, I think Patrick, you know, best at talking about that if he's got the numbers in front of him. And, um, uh, so that's where we're at, where we want to get, we want to, we want to do our due diligence to make sure that when we do freeze our rules for the wing program, we've got all the information we need.
3: Right. That I understand. Because, <laughs> I mean, you got to make sure that you're on a level playing field with all of the, all of the engines you're allowing in the class.
0: Correct. Yeah. Yep, because we do, again, we're blending four different packages uh, with one program, and, you know, we're we're blending three different packages with the traditional program, so we're adding a, an, an extra engine here um, for the wing program, and, again, we want to make sure that we're, we're doing the right thing with this. And, again, you know, what I saw on the track this year, and I want to ask Patrick, you know, after we discuss all the numbers we have here, if he felt like, and maybe you can answer that now. Um, if he felt like he was competitive, you know, Patrick's a rookie. He had some 410 experience before he uh, jumped into a 305 race saver uh, sprint car, uh, oh. but not a lot. I was, so, was going to say
3: Patrick's a sprint car rookie. I used to race against Patrick and his dad, both in super stocks.
0: Right, Way right. Back uh, it's not like he didn't have any racing experience, yeah. but he, was, right. he had limited sprint car experience. Right. And this was his first full year in a sprint
1: car. And and to go on here that, you know, I have some 410 sprint car experience, I mean, well, we can actually right now go right in depth on just how much experience I have. I I was lucky enough to meet a couple guys in 2013. Uh, We were at Rice Lake Speedway, and we were hurt by them and uh it just happens we got to be talking and next thing you know uh they're going oh you like spring cars and I would joke with them, nobody's been dumb enough to let me get in one though well, they, they came up to me later and they had been looking at our cars and saw how well I took care of them and how nice our cars look because that's one thing we always pride ourselves on as we try to have nice presentable professional looking cars and you know we take care of our stuff and we uh we're sitting there and he comes up to me he goes how would you like to get in in one of my sprint cars tonight he goes I got two cars with we don't have a full field of cars he goes so he goes you want to go out and time trial it he goes and start the feature he goes I'd like to get some extra start part money and I mean it actually it started off a real good friendship with them. And I hopped in the car and I went out there for time trials. And the, one of the guys that was working on a cars yelling at me. It's going to be tighter than tight going out there. We didn't get this change that and I'm like, sitting in the car getting pushed out. Cause I happened to draw number one. So I'm like, I don't know the difference. I've never drove a sprint car. So, but we went out there and we ran, we ran time trials and hot laps and we started the feature and then, we parked the car, so then we were supposed to run the car for him at Ashland, and then they brought the 60 to Superior, so I could turn some laps with the 410. So we got you know 20 some laps that year, and then the next year when they come up to Superior again, I got to hop in a car and turn. So over you know seven years that I've known them, I think I had maybe a total of. 70 laps in the sprint car i mean uh to go with i had some 410 experience well not really because there's guys that go to practice night and turn more laps (laughs) than i did i mean i i i did physically sit in a car and i did go out there and run in some of the races but for me we always had the super stock with when we were running and it was we became really good friends and they knew i liked the sprint cars and they were happy to see that was where they knew I always wanted to end up was in a sprint car so when they came up they made sure they brought their second car with and said you know what go out there just make some laps try to get comfortable and have some fun so I mean when we showed up at Cedar Lake this year with our own car on the first points night of the year that was the first actual time I ever really got to run a sprint car hard and actually see what a sprint car could do and feel the downforce and Feel the stagger work. Other than that, it was basically, yeah, you get on the gas on the straightaway, and unless you were in time trials, you were just basically trying not to screw up and reconite for someone else, and just get some laps and have some fun. I mean,
3: well, it, doesn't, it sounds like it served its purpose.
1: Well, it, it did. I mean, I'm still great friends with them. I mean, we went down to Ashland this year, and we actually brought the 305 down there with them, and we were going to race against them with our 305. And they rained out again because Ashland seems to rain out every year. They have the 410s down there. And then we, were, we had our car on night two of the Richter this year when they had the IRA there and the MSAs. We were actually going to run with them. Uh, just so we could go race with them and have some fun like we used to with the three Oh five car. But at the same time, we kind of were going, well, we don't really want a chance wrecking the car because we, we, uh really felt we had a chance at given Harry a run for the points championship, which by the end of the year, when things, things settled out, we were right there with them. And uh, we, we would have been the car that would have caused them to have a B main is what it came down to. And there's a lot of guys there that had a full season in and were running for points. And, you know, all it would take is a stupid part failure in a B main and ruin their whole season for them. So basically we decided when we were going to make a B main, we're just going to pit with them and we'll help them out and go. But, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not a rookie in racing by no means. Uh, we built me a car in 2007 to run the Super Stocks, which was a old Leaf Spring Cobra chassis. Well, actually, it was a bullet chassis converted to a Super by Cobra. And we went out there in 2007 and 2008, and I think we ran maybe like four nights total because I started in the mine and was working shift work and couldn't make it. And my dad was running full time still. And then 2009, we won rookie of the year at Proctor in the super stocks. And I think there was only a couple years since then that we actually ran a full season at Proctor that we didn't finish in the top five or the top 10 in points there. So, I mean, we, we had a lot of experience with, a little bit more torque and a little bit more horsepower, on a narrow tire that is a horrible tire to even race on. So, I mean, to get to get in a car that had a little less horsepower and had some downforce and and actually stuck to the track because of the tires, we we were we were good to go from the first night of the year. I mean, and
3: the the motor that you had in the sprint car wasn't exactly uh, down on power much from that super stock motor it it actually made about the same horsepower
1: it it did i mean my my last super stock engine we had we had the best of everything and it i mean it would have got a restrictor plate and been in a sprint car the year before but uh a certain owner of the series didn't want to even fathom that thought and (laughs) try to get a couple more cars down there uh I, i don't know who that would be but
3: yeah, I, I we, don't we, either. Who was that dude? We, we just call him so
0: <laughs> I don't remember that conversation.
1: We had that conversation. Yeah, we had that conversation.
2: <laughs> but,
1: but, I mean, my, my last superstar engine went the best to everything. And, I mean, dyno numbers are so fluid. It's, you, can, you can change numbers on a dyno depending on, on who runs the dyno. And you hear, just like with race saver engines or LS or whatever, you hear a guy say, well, I got a dyno sheet that says I got 500 horse or 530. It's you only can get so much engine out. And if they're not fudging the numbers for the settings in the dyno, you're going to get a pretty, pretty realistic. And when we brought the 305 down there, we had a a LS there at the same time that ran before us uh, for one of the other competitors in the series. So we're in the exact same settings as they did for the, I don't even know what settings they change, if it's for the altitude and all that stuff in the computer. So we know the the numbers that we were getting were a good comparison to the LS and the numbers from the previous dino. Because we compared what ended right before us.
3: Yeah, and I I, mean, most of the dino's... Uh try to do like a perfect day which is like about 75 yeah. degrees intake air and a barometric pressure of like 29.8 or 29.85 right in that neighborhood and they try to control that and they've got some ways to do that but they try to make sure that everybody's got the same basic running field and I know I know looking at the sheet I was I was kind of surprised at the uh, coolant temps on on your on your on your test because they were down like 140 145 range and i i was like wow that was pretty cold
1: <laughs> well well i mean the the thing you got to think of like with my coolant temps like when when we actually through the rundown of the ni- dyno numbers here and you're welcome ron for actually being prepared like i know when i had all my settings from the whole year i ran every setup sheet just so nobody could say that we had it. I actually brought my dino sheets to work with me today. So, <laughs> nice. I, Did you forget them there? What, what's that? Did you forget them there then at work?
0: You you don't have them?
1: <laughs> no, I, I have them in my truck right now. <laughs> oh, okay.
2: <laughs> All right.
1: I, I brought I them brought with because I figured somehow I was going to get it rolled into being the one with the numbers.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well, it's your, it's your
0: engine. Well. It's your engine. You know, I,
1: I can, I can talk about the, you
0: know, the, what we're getting for the LS engine and, you know, we got a little bit of work to do on the short block with a four barrel, but you know, you were there Patrick and, and, and the, the engine that was dynoed just before yours in the morning on that day. Uh, we ended up with about, what was it? About 475 horsepower right in there four eighty, And I don't remember. Do you Patrick, do you remember what the torque was? Four, uh, yeah, 400,
1: 410. Yeah, yeah, somewhere on there. Give me a second. I'll tell you. I got a message oh, here. here that
0: says
3: and, what I, it was. And that, that's with the four barrel on it, not with the two barrel.
0: Correct. Okay. That is with the four barrel on it. You know, a good, we're thinking a really good LS engine with a four barrel, barrel on it and tuned just right. We're probably talking 480 to 490 at the most. Uh, yeah. it's about where we're talking about, and this is a six thousand five hundred. That's a six thousand five hundred dollars engine. Yeah. Um, so you know the short block Chevy, we got a little work to do there. I know we did test the short block Chevy with a four barrel, oh, a long time ago, uh, four or five years ago, and we know that we had a little problem with the carburetor. Uh, but I I want to say we were at four sixty, 460, four sixty five, four seventy, right in there. But we we thought we had more to go, so. Um, we do have some work to do on that. Patrick, did you find did you find the numbers on that that yeah, engine?
1: Yeah, yes, I did. the The numbers I was told for the 5.3 LS with the four barrel we ran was 465 horse and 410 foot pounds of torque, uh, which, from what I was told, was uh, the torque from the LS you guys did last year was six foot pounds more. So that was at 416.
0: Yeah, and yeah. I think we were at about 475 horsepower last year too. So, you know, it's right in there. It's right in there. Yep.
3: Yeah. Yeah, last year so. it was 478 and 416.
0: Okay. And yep.
3: it was uh 435 and 398 with a two barrel.
0: Yeah, and 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 again, backing up a little bit, uh we like to bring our uh engines to R&R and Blaine just to keep everything consistent. Yep. Um, they do a really nice job there. And that way we're, we are comparing apples to apples. So, you know, uh, the, the LS um, has got good, good numbers. And what it happened, the reason we did this, we do have some teams that are complaining and thinking that the 305 has a big advantage. And, again, we did a lot of um, work on... Um, looking into the 305 and and the numbers it's supposed to make and what it does actually make. And we thought this would, this would plug in really, really well into our program. And that's why we did allow the 305. And so, you know, if we want to talk specifically about Patrick's um, engine, uh, he told us what it was going to have before we even dynoed it it. I think he was maybe two horsepower off or something like that. Um, so he knew what he had and, and so we can talk about these numbers and then again Patrick I want I want to ask you if you think you were competitive this year um, so well, so well,
1: you know I thought I was competitive right there I mean with, with the car compared to other cars we were racing yes I, I think we're 100% competitive I mean I thought uh, Mike Mueller's car had a small block chevy the whole year and then you said you had a 604 so that was a good comparison and there was many nights me and him battled side by side i mean uh chase he's got a race saver engine that was brand new this year from one of the big builders i go and i ran side by side with him many a night for laps uh there was ls cars that i ran side by side with a lot of laps i mean so, some of the guys that had the uh, perception of the race saver cars being so fast, I, I tried talking to them and telling them, you know, go back and watch the videos, and you will see the guys that are, that are fast. It's not because of their engine. Watch what they're doing on the restarts. Watch the experience they have. I mean, on a, on a nightly basis, if you go back and watch the videos, the three fastest cars to take off and get up to speed were Harry... Uh, Colbs and Chase well that's two LS's and a 305 but if you also look at the pedigrees of them drivers (laughs) Harry has won how many I mean I I was not even a year old in the stands at Hibbing and Harry was already I mean that's some of my first memories of who was winning at local tracks was Harry
3: (laughs) Harry's got 44 years behind the wheel of a race car
1: Yeah, I mean you look at at Colbs he's won in like every division he's ever tried and you look at chase he won rookie of the year and then backed it up with a championship back when you guys had the 360 even so yeah he
0: yeah he was good right from the beginning and, and i agree with you patrick i you were very competitive all year long with uh with your 305 um and it's going to be i hope it's interesting for people to uh to to uh realize what these numbers are that you're going to be telling them because it it's just so interesting you know again people think you've got over 500 horsepower and you've spent you know what $20,000 on your engine and you know I I know how much you spent on your engine and I I looking at the numbers right now what you have so it's going to be really interesting when you when you reveal what that that all is
1: yeah and i mean like like i know to put it out there, because we had a lot of people that couldn't make it to Dino, Dan, a lot of people, and that's what the podcast is for, is get out there, everyone. Everyone that was there at the Dino, we, we had a little discussion on the race-saver engines, and you can build a competitive race engine for the same price as you can build an LS. I mean, yep. hands down. I agree. You can also, you can also spend twenty five grand. On a race saver engine, is the twenty-five grand going to get you more power? It might get you one to two more horsepower. What? But the the rules on the race saver engine limit so much in the valve train and the crank weight and how their teching goes goes through there that it is irrelevant how much you spend. That comes down to the perception of other drivers that I'm getting beat, and this guy has this builder's engine or or that the cost comes down to with with the race saver, and you can go buy a two and three sixteenths inch Hillborn uh injection from a swap meet for eighteen hundred dollars and make the same power as a brand new five thousand dollar injection your your cost comes into in these twenty five thousand dollars it's some is the price that the engine builder is charging because they went and Belleville they had, which is a big motor track. They had six out of the top 10 cars at their big race saver show finish. Well, right there, their price, their motor just went up because everyone's going to be blowing them. Uh, Same thing with the race saver nationals. Well, a a lot of the costs when you get into these expensive motors, is if you look at it, building it brand new, you buy a brand new dart block. You're at three grand before machining right there, before you even buy any other part. You put a thousand dollar or $1,500 crankshaft in it, but is it making you more power? No, because it needs to weigh a minimum of 48 pounds. So your $300 crankshaft, weighs the same as the expensive one the difference is in the metal that it's made out of so the longevity the part should last you in the lower horsepower car so if you spend big money on an engine you probably only have to pull that engine apart and maybe put rings and maybe bearings in it every three to four years as long as you're running that engine and you're going to be within the same power
3: and you're doing the maintenance on it. Yes.
1: And and there's not a lot of maintenance on a race saver. Uh, The biggest maintenance is now I come from super stocks where we had gasoline. We're using, you know, 110 octane, 113 octane, whatever, whatever your choice of race gas was we were running. Well then in 2000, Ten, I think it was. My dad stepped up to an A mod. Well, when we went up to the A mod. We switched over to methanol, and it was a real quick learning experience how important cleaning your fuel system is with methanol compared to gas. Yep. And it is no difference between a race saver car to a car with an LS, or if it's a traditional or a four ten, any of the cars in a sprint car that are running uh methanol which we all have to run methanol maintenance is the biggest thing with the fuel system if you don't take care of your fuel system and make sure your filter's clean and make sure you're not letting the fuel dry apart and sweat up you're gonna make good power as soon as you start neglecting that stuff you're going to have restrictions in jets and carburetors or nozzles in there so the, the basic maintenance on my 305 every week is I drain the fuel lines, I spin the fuel pump, which this stuff would be no difference no matter what engine I had in this series because it is running methanol. Now, this year was a little different than a normal year because we had lots of stretches where we didn't run. So it went a little bit above what I normally do if you're running week to week. So. When we had our month off, I drained the fuel out of the tank. I pulled the fuel filter apart. I cleaned the fuel filter. I put some Marble, Marvel Mystery Oil in the fuel filter, drizzled some down through the lines. I cleaned the pump. I lubed the pump. I cleaned the nozzles. And then there we go back. You're, you let the engine sit till the next time you go off. I mean, if you don't do that stuff, it's going to plug up. So the fuel system maintenance is basically the same no matter what cars you have. And you'll have people that say, well, I didn't drain my fuel system all year, or I didn't clean my carb ever, and we ran good. Or the The fact of the matter is, methanol absorbs water, and when it absorbs water, it breaks down. And if it sits long enough in there, it does damage to your fuel pump and your lines and that, which impedes performance. Now, on the rest of the maintenance i do my schedule is now when we were running and we ran a week and then we had a week off and we ran a week again i pull the oil filter every night because it was sitting between the times we go when we run three nights in a row or we're running two back-to-back weekend or I do it every four nights. I pull the oil filter. I make sure the oil doesn't look milky because of methanol. If you have in a carburetor a, a float stick or something and you dump methanol down in the basement, you can easily wipe out the bearings. Yep. So once again, that is something that would not change no matter what engine I ran. I even was up my super stock and I still did this stuff. Um, every week I go through... And I look at the spark plugs, and make sure the spark plugs look good, and none of them are fouled. And nothing. That's another thing that, you know, does not change with you know, no matter what engine we're running. It's your your engine is the heart of your car. So why wouldn't you make sure it is at top notch every time you go to the track, especially with stuff like that that literally costs you no money. It's just a little bit of work. Effort looking at it and saying everything is good and then i pull the valve covers and now we're on roller rockers where i was always on stamp steel rockers with my old engine so when we were on stamp steel rockers we would always set the valves every week because you were running steel no rollers all i do on the 305 because it and now when I say roller rockers, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. We have, you know, $1,500 gentle shaft rockers. They are not roller rockers, No, non-shaft rockers, no stud girdles, no nothing. Literally, all I do is I grab the rocker arms and make sure that they don't seem like they have excessive slop in them. I mean, for, for the most part, the maintenance that goes through the car throughout the whole season with the engine... It's not expensive just because it's expensive. now at the of the year, running, a lot of people that were,
3: uh, yeah, you're getting oh, into a weird he spot. Through? Hey, uh, it. We're
2: losing,
1: yeah. you're losing me,
3: yeah, you're getting into a weird spot in your shop, apparently.
1: Oh. I'm actually I'm actually sitting at the community center in Clinton talking.
0: <laughs> no, that could that, be why. That's better right there. We <laughs> can hear you now.
1: But, but when... Uh, well, we could. Where was I at? Yeah. Even? <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, uh, I, don't, I know we're talking about maintenance, but I was on a roll and you guys interrupted me. <laughs> <laughs>
3: well, well, the phone uh, signal kind of uh, interrupted you.
1: <laughs> I, I, I want to back up a little
0: bit. Patrick, when we were talking about um, spending twenty five, I've actually heard thirty thousand dollars for some three hundred fives, and um, you know, you touched on some of the reasons, and you know, a lot of that is, um, yeah, some of that is parts, but a lot of it is labor, especially if these yep. uh, certain engine is running up front, um, <clears throat> um, and and re- what's going on is is basically what you were talking about is keeping up with the Joneses. We do that regular life and we do that in racing and what's really hurting the racing is if uh patrick has a thirty thousand dollar 305 fill in the blank race saver engine made by you know again fill in the blank um everybody else and you're winning everybody else is going to think they're going to need to go off do the same thing and and that's something that's really 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 hurting our sport and when you've got people like Patrick that doesn't have a lot of money into their 305 and knows how to take care of it, like you just explained, and is competitive, and I agree with you, Patrick, you were, you were very competitive, even though you were basically a rookie. You, you, you came within a couple hundred feet of winning uh, your first feature this year up at Superior at Gondic Law. Um, this is what really helps our, our sport is a is a is somebody a team that does really well with keeping keeping their equipment um well maintained and then going out and showing that you don't have to have a thirty thousand dollar engine to go out there and compete and that's what our brand is all about in the traditional it's like that and in the wing we want to make it as much as that as possible and so Uh, what you just explained, again, is is maintenance is extremely important, but money isn't. And that's again, that's our brand, and that's why we haven't frozen it, because we got to make sure that somebody someday comes in with a $30,000 engine, that they're not going to be winning every night. We want to make sure it's the driver, and we want to make sure it's the car more than anything else. So um, that was interesting, you explaining all the maintenance that you do. But how long does that take you to do that maintenance, Patrick?
1: Well, put it put it this way: the the only thing that I didn't do was clean my nozzles when we were at the legendary, and including going through nut and bolting every ca- bolt on the whole car, not just the engine, greasing things, rescaling the car, making sure everything was square. We unloaded the car at I think it was ten o'clock in the morning, before championship night at the legendary, and it was. Probably one o'clock in the afternoon, and I was done. And I mean, that was every single nut and bolt on my car went over. Everything was checked for leaks. Everything got grease that needs grease. You know, I went through, made sure all seat belts were good, the seat was good, everything I do in my normal weekly routine. And now I did that basically all by myself. Now, my parents were there. My girlfriend was there. But basically, it came down to we knew that was the night that was going to determine the champion between me and Harry with how the other two nights had gone. So I wanted to personally go over everything on my car, and they kept asking what they could help. and that So that was one person in three and a half hours went through the complete sprint car, not just checking the engine. So... Yep.
3: I mean, did yeah, did... so, so realistically, realistically, it was about two hours with a couple of uh, half-hour BS breaks in there.
2: Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> probably. I'm in. Patrick, how long would it take you to do the the same kind of maintenance with your super stock when you did that? All week.
1: Um. Well, when I was in college, I spent forty hours a week. Working on the two race cars just to maintain them if we had no damage. So, oh my god! I wow. I, I got I got home from co- college when I was in college the first time with with two super stocks, and I went through the cars tip to tail every week, and I had easily forty hours into it, so twenty hours per car at least with no damage. I mean, wow. so. Wow.
0: Wow,
3: and some of that was cussing and swearing and chasing tools that you'd already thrown.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Exactly, and then and then you find something wrong on a Monday or a Tuesday, and you gotta go find the part or order the part. Well, now you're thrashing on a Thursday to get ready to go Friday.
2: So yeah,
0: yeah, interesting. I mean, interesting.
1: The the beauty of a sprint car is, I mean, I've I've helped on late models, I've helped on modifieds, I've helped on B mods, pure stocks supers i mean there's not really a type of car up around minnesota wisconsin on the dirt tracks that i haven't physically actually helped someone work on or build at one point throughout my life and you get into late models and modified even things spring smash and you gotta all these classes you gotta scale them every week and make sure everything's aligned right the sprint car it's simple. I mean, 99% of how fast a sprint car runs is the idiot sitting behind the steering wheel. I mean, yeah, that's... I agree. You're, you look at... I, I was just having a conversation with another person trying to convince to build a sprint car the other day, and they asked me how important is it is to have a, a car, because they, they come from the soda background. I do where constantly chassis manufacturers are changing how the front geometry is and the rear geometry and cars are getting faster a sprint car you go from like 2009 to a 2020 and they're basically the same car
3: yeah the the technology hasn't changed in 30 years
1: everything on a sprint car boils down to the engine plate is the easiest way to describe it you square the rear end off the engine plate. You square the front end off the engine plate. Yep. So it doesn't really matter how the chassis is built. Everything comes off the engine plate for the most part. I mean, now there is some differences when we get into the newer cars, which I'm sure sometime down the road when Ron gets the other videos out, one of the updates will be talking about the new safety bars, and that's one of the big things that's different about a brand new car nowadays compared to an older one. Is some of the yep. safety stuff you yep. have. And I yep. mean, my car, I will, I will, flat out, my car is a used 2014 chassis. I mean, we didn't show up with a brand new car. Were we just as passive as a couple people we know that had brand new cars out there? Sure, we were. I you mean, you were. It,
0: yep. Well,
1: once, once again, it comes down to maintenance. I mean, that is the beauty of anyone that's. Listening to this and thinking about coming to a sprint car, your maintenance throughout the week, oh, it's a life I have never felt so free during the week in my life since, and I, we still have the A-mod out. So I go from working on the A-mod to the sprint car, and it's like, all right, well, Monday I'm going to work on the sprint car and wash it and go through it and... Tuesday, I'm gonna, well, I guess I'm working on a modified Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, <laughs> the sprint car's
0: ready yeah. to go. So, I mean. and that, When we talk sustainable, when we talk sustainable sprint car racing, that's one of the things we're talking about is that you don't have to spend the whole week in the garage working on the thing. Um, some of the teams put their, their car on the, the trailer on Saturday and they get there early the next Saturday to do their maintenance, you know? And so you can spend time with the family and you do have time to do other things. And so that's, that's really important. And, um, it's something we, we take really seriously. And so that, that's, that's really good insight for people listening that, um, you don't have to spend all week working on a sprint car. You know, it's a few hours You're You're talking two, three hours. You
3: know, and,
1: well, I mean, and go ahead.
3: I, I was just going to say one of the things I'm getting out of this conversation is it's typical of any class of racing. Most of your races are won in the garage.
2: Yeah.
1: 100%. I mean, if, if if you don't want to do the work to have the car ready, you're not going to just show up at the track. Now, like Ron said, some people show up at the track and go through the car when they get there. There is no problem with that. They're still putting the time in to work on their car. But if you build a car at the beginning of the year, and put it on blocks and then bring it to the track the first night and you don't touch anything unless someone breaks by the end of the year, I will put money on you are slower yep. because things require effort. I mean, as, as I was always, you're yeah. not willing to put work into it, isn't worth having. So, I mean there there is minimum things you have to do and when we run our car, whether it's the super stock when we had it, the modified the sprint car, I have a list in the trailer and there is bare minimum stuff that I check every night. I have my list of stuff I check once a week, my stuff I check every night, and my stuff that if you're running a two day show three-day show like the legendary where it's fine to not do this stuff till you get back to the following week but there there is certain things you need to do before the car hits the track every time and if you're not doing them it doesn't matter how much horsepower it doesn't matter how much money you have it doesn't matter how much talent you are not gonna have a competitive car because
3: you know every every couple of weeks you've got it you've got to take the yeah, uh, good Lord. The birdcage is out. Clean yep. them, grease them, put them back in, check your in- angles again, make sure your radius rods and everything haven't moved, <laughs> make sure you're still square, you, uh, cleaning your high ends, All of those things affect the way the car reacts and uh, just leaving them be until one's tight. <laughs> well, you gave away three weeks of tightness before you realized it was tight
1: exactly
3: you know so i, I, just... I mean and,
1: and to kind of put into
3: <laughs> wd-40 well, is cheap <laughs>
1: it's really
3: cheap
1: but, but to, to put into put into perspective on these cars and you're putting together and the stuff to put in um you know this ron because obviously you were there but August 20-something, we had two-day show at Cedar Lake. It takes four to four-and-a-half hours for me to get there from home. We won the heat race on the first night. We experienced a little bit of a technical difficulty in the feature, and another car ended up hitting our left rear, which caused extensive damage to the car. It broke the birdcage, ripped the radius rod off, uh wrecked the rear end bent the drive line we loaded the car up drove the four and a half hours back home i slept for about two hours took the car out of the trailer put it in the air basically disassembled everything from the back of the engine and through every part i didn't just you know change parts or slap parts on i went through just as i do when i set up the car and build it got the car back together loaded the car back up drove four and a half hours back down which turned into almost five and a half because we blew a tire coming through north branch uh got to the track literally got in a race as they were calling us to staging rolled the car out of the trailer and told my dad make sure there's air in the tires and fuel in the tank, I guess we got to run. We didn't really pass. I think we passed one or two cars in the heat race and had to start deep in the field. Actually set the fuel level where I like it, set the air pressure where I like it, measured the stagger because we had time. And we went out there and we we ran right with Mike Mueller running through the whole field. And I think he got six and I got seven. I mean, coming from the back. And that was after baseball completely destroying the back half of the car. You go to any other type of car there is and you have a wreck with that kind of damage and you're gonna be out for a week because you're not gonna be able if you do get the car back together and you come out the next night, the car's not gonna drive right because
2: mm-hmm. there is no physical way
1: in. to have enough time to go through it and scale it and that where a sprint car. If you wreck something, it's as simple as unbolting the part, putting a new one on, setting it back on blocks, doing a couple measurements, and there you go. You got just as competitive car as you did before. I mean,
2: right? Yeah, right. As, right. as, as
3: long as you don't bend an axle, you're doing good.
1: Well, yeah. I mean,
3: <laughs> I mean, but at least in a in a sprint car, what's it take to change an axle? About four hours.
1: Uh, yeah, a rear axle. Yeah.
3: If, if, if you don't, if, if you if you just got another axle tube, that you take the rear end apart, well, and it, put a new tube yeah, in. Yeah,
1: well, see, you you can change the axle without pulling the housing out of the car, which saves you some time if you know what you're doing. Yeah. Um, the the biggest thing is on something like that to change a tube in the rear end. I have a spare rear end now. When so I bought my car, I got a spare. Rear end. <laughs> sorry when, when, when i bought my car i got a spare rear end with it because to me having a spare rear end is a better option than trying to change it in a hurry because uh how many videos has everyone seen where a sprint car goes out and it breaks an axle tube or something and and the car flips and completely destroys it so to me it's the best option is to have the spare rear end if you want to try to make it back out that quickly. Now, everyone can't have a spare rear end, and there's nothing wrong with pulling the rear end apart and changing the axle tube in it. The problem comes into, and that's where the problem comes into me with what my work schedule usually is, is if I wreck a car, I cannot pull the rear end out Change the axle and put it back in and make it to the race the next night. If I was working, right? I mean, most most people can't, and I work a lot on weekends and everything else. I mean, we when we ran Fridays at Gonda Class Speedway at weekly, we missed about fifty percent of them because uh, our family business was busy. and People were coming, and it's well, we got to work. We can go racing. So, to to me and how I like to do things, I like having a spare rear end at home because that way i don't feel rushed to put it back together if i break an axle too right i can take it apart i can inspect every single part and know when i put it back in it is just as good as the day i bought the axle and that is why and i mean, i i know we're all about saving money in the series and that and that is my reasoning behind having a second rear end because uh a spare axle to put in the rear end bare is like 600 or 700 bucks. Well, you can buy a used rear end for 600 or 700 bucks complete. So, I mean, yeah. to me, it's almost the same cost as having a spare axle tube sitting there.
3: Yeah, there, there's just different schools of thought on it, and there's a couple right. of different ways to accomplish exactly. the same mission, you know, just, just yep. like everything else. Well, you know, so, <laughs> so,
0: so a- after talking about all this stuff, I mean, are we ever going to tell people, uh, you know, what your 305 engine bit? I mean, I think there's some people that are, are maybe sitting on pins and needles going, oh,
2: that's
0: ran very competitively. He's got to have close to 500 horsepower in that 305.
3: I'm thinking there's a lot of people that are going to the fast forward button trying to get
1: there. I mean, 500 horsepower, that's how how I set quick time at at the legendary 100 on that track that was slicker than a lake in the middle of winter.
3: I mean. Come on, that Vaseline glass floor was not that bad.
1: (laughs) Same with when we ran at Gondekwai Speedway, and I got done and my dad asked me how the car was, and I said, it was horrible. I couldn't touch the gas pedal. I couldn't touch the brake pedal. I barely could steer. He goes, you yeah. well, won by almost half a lap. I said, oh, okay, well, put some fuel in the car. I guess we'll drive it, handle in that way the rest of the race. I mean, yeah. but so to, to get down to the real reason, you know, I ended up getting roped into this podcast. So- <laughs> yeah, like it's been a
3: gigantic pain in your
2: butt. <laughs>
1: No, it's, it's a good time. I mean, it's, it's like everything with the series. I, I told Ron when we first came, I mean, I'm sure when I showed up at the track the first night, Ron didn't know me from Adam and didn't know anything about my past. I know you know a little bit, Randy, because you're from up on the range and, yep. you know, you had raced against us and, and you know how we are. And uh, like with everything, depends on who you talk to at the track. Some people like us, some people hate us, but you know what, <laughs> I, I mean, I I try my best to help Everyone, I tried my best to help the tracks, to help the series. Uh, we moved on from our super stock to the UMSS, and when I was talking with Ron, one of the first nights we were there, it might have even been uh, through messages before we actually went when we were trying to figure out what the rules exactly were if we came with a race saver car, I told him, you will find out after we have been there for a little bit why we had won Sportsman of the Year three times and had been voted most popular driver at a track. And it's because we're there to help the series. We're there to, to be interact with the fans and let them have a good time. I mean, we always have little checkered flags in the trailer. So when, when Ron came up to me at the Legendary and said, well, you set quick time, a lot of guys are complaining about the race saver. I said, well, Ron, I said, we're going to have to put a race saver on the dyno. He said, for sure, uh, we'll have to do it by next fall. And I said, well, I might try going down to run Arlington next week. And any after that you want, let me know, I said, and I'll bring the engine and we'll put it on the dyno. And I ran Arlington. I got home, washed the car. I sent Ron a picture of the engine getting pulled out. I said, when do you want to go to the dyno? And that's when he said, Let me call an R and we set the date, and we ended up bringing it down there. And when we showed up down there, uh, we had the same fuel settings on the car as we ran the whole season, which I know a lot.
0: Yep, glad, Packr. I
1: I know I know a lot of people. Will won't don't understand these fuel settings because they don't know about injection. But it's basically equals out uh, the same as your jetting would be in your carburetor. Just they're different numbers and they work backwards. Yep. So a higher number actually leans out the car, and a lower number runs rich.
3: Bigger
2: and the number, the smaller we the hole. There,
1: uh, the The bigger the number, the bigger the hole. Just with a jet, but it works opposite as a jet because you're actually releasing fuel back to the tank through that hole instead of into the engine. So when, when we showed up, we had uh, the main bypass, the jet in there was a 74 and the high speed bypass had a jet in there of a seven six and it was set at 50 PSI, which Ron can vouch for me on this because I showed him every setup sheet from the whole year. We were with within, Two points of that seventy-four the whole year, and the seventy-six fifty never changed. Now your two points was I was playing around because we were trying to get see if we could make more power without actually having it on the dyno, and you know we all know how how effective the butt dyno is. You know? <laughs> but, so <laughs> I, I, I I will go with with uh, dyno run number three because that was the first one where we actually had a little heat in it and actually weren't just running and not checking for leaks and making (sighs) sure we had everything right and with those settings and and the timing set at 37 degrees uh because we had a little technical difficulty with radio interference so we had to switch the magneto out and when we put it back in it was at 37 degrees so we said well let's try it there first before we change it We, uh, our max horsepower was 423.9 and our, that was at 6,400 RPMs. And our peak torque was 385.2 at 4,500 RPMs. Now, when we went to go to the dyno and everyone was saying 500 horse, blah, blah, this and that. I told Ron, I I told a couple other guys, I said, we will be in the low 400s. I said, you you cannot make more than 425 to 435-ish horse on a legitimate, accurate dyno with the uh, valve specs and the heads and all that. Now, that's not just my opinion. My opinion is what I have been told by several different engine builders that build race savers and several different tech guys through imc that imca that actually tech these engines for legality that is where i am saying you cannot make more horsepower than that well when we went there ron asked me in in all reality what is it going to make for power and i said it's going to make between 420 and 430 horse and we were we were right in that wheelhouse right there with 423 and a half and we uh, we ran it one more one more run just to verify things and change the timing to 36 after that and we went to 36 degree timing we picked up one horsepower we went to 324.9 horsepower and we ended up peaking at 392.2 foot-pounds of torque. So we did pick up, you know, eight, nine foot-pounds of torque and one horsepower. Um, we, I knew going into it that the timing really, the engine really liked 36 degrees timing. I mean, I've ran a small block Chevy-based engine in a lot of years, and 34 to 36 is the wheelhouse that, just about any engine we've ever had on the dyno likes for max timing. After that, it kind of drops off. So we tried a little less timing and we lost power. So then if we jump ahead, the next test we did, when we made changes other than the timing, we went back to 36 degrees timing and we went to a 78 pill in the main. So we fattened it up a little. And it actually lost almost 20 foot pounds of torque. It was at 377.1 and its peak horsepower is at 421. So we knew that was the wrong way to go on the fuel right away. I mean, and then if we go, we did a couple more tests and made sure everything was accurate and that. And then the next test we did was still at 78 pill and 36 degree timing and the horsepower fell fell a little more and it actually read at 399 so we definitely knew that going we were fattening it up on the fuel actually was well actually when we, went the, when we went to the 78 pill it actually leaned up the so we knew the engine by the temps and by the air fuel gauge it was running rich but We leaned it out on the bottom end, and it just killed power. I mean, so we fattened it back up and actually leaned it out a little on the bottom, fattened it a little more on the bottom end. We went to a 70 main pill, and it went to 366 foot-pounds of torque and 416. So we basically knew that wasn't the right move to make either. I mean, then we ended up going, and we changed – back to a 78 and we're back up to uh, the 421 horsepower and uh, 380 foot pounds of torque basically. So then next thing we decided we were gonna do is we're gonna start putting, we went up on the high speed bypass to a 78 pill which leaned out on the top end a little compared to trying to lean out on the bottom end. Right. And we were still right at, we lost a little more torque. We were down to 351 foot pounds of torque and we were at 393.6 horsepower. So we knew that wasn't really going right for us either. So we, we put a turn into the spring in the bypass, knowing that everything we're doing, we're losing power. So it was pretty dang close where we started with, let's zero it in. And uh, we ended up taking a turn out of the bypass on, I think now we're on Dino Run 8 out of the session. And we we're 322.2 horsepower, but we we're only at... Uh, Three hundred and sixty-three foot-pounds of torque, and that was at six thousand RPMs. Anything below that, there was, you know, three hundred and fifty foot-pounds of torque-ish. So it's like, well, you're completely killing the bottom end. So we we're trying to find a happy medium, and we changed a little more on on another turn out of the bypass, and it still. We ran another run just to see if maybe it was a fluke on the numbers on that first one that somehow we had excess fuel in the line still, or, and it still, we got about the same. So then on, on run nine, we went back to our original settings and put, took one turn out of the high-speed bypass, which lowered it from instead of opening at 50 PSI, it was opening at about 43 and a half PSI. And with that, we started to build torque back up. We hit 366 uh, foot pounds of torque, and we were back to our 421.2 horsepower. So we knew we were starting to get go the right way to maybe try to get some more power out of this engine. And... After that run, we ended up going to the 78 main pill and trying it with the high speed set different because we know when we leaned it out with the main pill to start with, it didn't like it. Well, now we tried leaning it out on the top and the bottom, and we ended up at 369 and a half foot pounds of torque, and we ended up peaking at 426.8 horsepower. So we're getting somewhere, but we're starting to see that when we were trying to pull horsepower up to get as big a number as we could for this comparison, torque fell right through the floor. I mean, so on our next run after that, we ended up going to a a 85 pill. And when we went to the 85 pill, it brought us up to 431.6 horsepower and our torque was at 377 foot-pounds. So we were starting to go the right direction there to maybe get some more numbers because we got the horsepower up some, but we also lost. We weren't completely back on torque. So then on run 12, we ended up going to a 90 hill, and we gained a little more torque again. We were back to 386 and a half, and we were still holding 430.6 horsepower. So yep. we knew we were, we were starting to find more of what the engine liked, and kind of instead of going backwards in the beginning, we were starting to make headway, and we were going to get just as much power as we could. And then on the next one, we went to a 85 in the high speed and leaned it out a little more on the on the top end with the nine in pill in, and we ended up making 426.8 horsepower, and we made four or 373.9 foot-pounds of torque. Which those were kind of the plateaus that we we're kind of jumping around the whole time we were trying so then on the next one the only thing we changed is we went to 55 psi on the high speed and left everything else the same and we ended up coming away with 428 horsepower and 376 foot pounds of torque which we were getting to the point where we we're getting just about where we were making as much as we were going to make out of out of the engine and we tried a little more we ran one more run that was the same as that last one just to verify the numbers because we were making headway to get it close then on the next next run we ended up going back to a 78 bypass in the bypass and we ended up making 426.8 horsepower and we were up to almost 380 foot pounds of torque so we're getting close to the 390 and the 430 that we figured it was going to end up being so then well I mean we're 17 runs into this thing already and trying everything as we could was basically my orders that get as much power as we could out for an accurate uh comparison so then on on this run this ended up being our best run uh that we had we were 36 degrees timing we're a 78 pill at 55 psi in the high speed and a 90 main pill and we ended up pulling 332.6 horsepower and we lost a little bit on torque, but it was like 0.2 horsepower. So we we're at 377.3. So we knew we found what the engine liked, And then we did uh, a couple more runs after that one, continuing the direction we were going with, the. Uh, uh, we ended up trying uh, 80 in the high speed. And the horsepower in the course fell. We ended up trying a 90 in the high speed and it fell. And we ended up trying a 92 in the main and it fell. I mean, and by that point, Ron was getting sick of being there and listening to everyone. And said, <laughs> I, I got to go cut some trees. So you guys are going back the other way. Uh, I, I don't think we're making more power and that's, that's basically what it was. Once we got past that point, we we literally, anything we did to either lean it out, because we already tried it richer before that, if we leaned it out more, temperatures started just spiking, and it's like, well, even if it does make more power, you can't race the thing that way, because you'll blow it up in half, because it's so lean, it ain't funny. Right. I mean, but we basically, the happy medium and... Where the engine liked to run the best was was at a eleven and a half on the air fuel ratio, and that is when we made the uh four hundred thirty two point six horsepower and the three hundred seventy seven and a half foot pounds of torque. And see
3: the dyno sheet, the dyno sheet that I was showed said uh, three eighty six five for the high number on the torque and four thirty point six at six thousand four hundred.
0: The horsepower. That was o- that was overall your best pull of the day with were yeah. those two right there put yeah. in, put together.
3: Um, so it says with a ninety pill, uh, previous yep, change was yep. ninety main pill, and that, that yep. came out to like a four thirty. So it came out right in the right in the neighborhood where you thought it was going to. Yep. You yep. know. Yeah.
1: Those those were those were the two two most consistent and best pulls, but. The, the reason why the one that I I chose was the best pull that I just said was when you when you look at the horsepower and the torque curve, it was yeah. a wider band than the one that peaked higher. So, really? I mean, it's, it's a horse apiece what someone says. If you look at the two side by side, most people's eyes go to, oh, this one had a higher peak. This one... Was right in the same wheelhouse, but it had a wider power band. It carried yeah. the power for a couple hundred more RPM.
3: Well, th- this mean. this one I'm looking at is 386 at 4500, and it drops to 360.9 at 62, but it's picked up 100 horsepower between the between those two RPM ranges. I mean, it was a 331 yeah. or 4, and 4, at 4500 and 422 at 6200 sixty one hundred
1: and, and it, this other one was was still at three seventy seven point three at forty five hundred and when where was your number six thousand
2: yeah i
3: went i went to sixty two and it was three sixty point nine and four hundred and twenty six
1: this this one's still at three sixty five at sixty two that's
3: okay
1: so not now, now you're seeing why I'm saying this one had the wider it, it carried power longer, so yeah,
3: a little bit longer. As
1: you, as, you, as you running, you know, you know, horsepower is how fast you hit the wall, and torques how far you move it. Right. So, <laughs> I, I mean, to me, I always like I'd sacrifice a little bit of horsepower to have a wider torque band because that's what's getting you out of the corner.
3: Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But I mean,
1: it, yeah. Either way, the sheet that you got right in front of you and the sheet that I got it right in front of me right now, they're pretty much the same. They were back to back pulls with no no changes to the settings. So
2: yeah, I and, mean, you're yeah.
3: This this one's showing me a coolant temp of about 142 degrees by the end of the run. So if yours was after this, I'd imagine you got about five more degrees of coolant temp. Yeah, right right about there. Yeah. So uh, as as it's getting a little warmer, it's going to make a little better power because it's yep. atomizing the fuel a little bit better. Yep. But the the injection system does a really good job of atomizing anyways.
1: But it, uh, it does um I mean,
3: I mean but, it also I I'm, I'm just going to throw this in there cuz 6400 rpm at 430.6 horsepower 353 foot pounds of torque. Uh, it's really not any different than the LS motors, uh, with a two barrel on them. Yeah, it, it's about Correct. 50 50 horse short of the LS motor with a four barrel on it because the LS motor with four barrel on it went 480 and like 416 on the torque. Yeah,
1: so you're actually
3: giving away motor to the four to the 5.3.
0: And the power band on the 5.3 is a lot wider, too, or however you call it. You know, I'm not the technical guy. It's got a lot better power and, band to it, too. So,
1: and, and here's the other
0: thing. Go ahead. Go ahead, Patrick. Well,
1: well, that's the beautiful thing about this, how you have your series set up, Ron, is we have uh, every car has a give and take. Yep. So a lot of people think the 305 with the fuel injection has the advantage because it has throttle response. I don't know about some of the other guys, but a lot of the nights I never varied how much my foot was on the throttle pedal. Everything was controlled with the brake pedal. So, I mean, yeah.
2: your
1: your throttle repu- response doesn't really, maybe on the restart up until the flag stand, your throttle response comes into play. But we're, uh, what were we, a uh, 35-pound lighter engine?
0: Yeah, what, what what where were you at? I think we were at. the ls is 475 or 480 and what were you 435 no you were 440
1: i I think it was like 436 439 somewhere later on there i'd have to actually look and see what the actual what the picture was i sent you when we weighed them back to back
0: yeah it's right there it's about just under 440 pounds and then the ls i think is 475 or 480 so you've got a 40 pound um advantage if you want to call it that You're, you're that much lighter but your whole car your whole car has to weigh at least 1550 pounds with the fire system or 1575 without the fire system and the ls is and the short block Chevy six hundred four is fifteen hundred pounds.
1: Exactly, and that's that's my point. We have a little less power. We lay it weigh a little more. So anyone that's got the theory of you know the throttle response versus acceleration, we have less more less power that has to get overall more weight up to the same speed quicker. So right. I mean right. And, and, and let's
0: let's let's say this for the, the sake of discussion. You know, I've talked to a lot of people in the industry. I've got a lot of contacts uh, that we have talked about with the three hundred five, and you know, some people that I really do trust. You know, the best they've ever ever seen in a three hundred five, and, and I've yet to see this being proven on a on a, either a chassis dyno or an engine dyno. The best they've ever seen was four hundred and I don't know seventy five or four hundred and eighty at the flywheel. And so now whether that's true or not, I don't know. But even if that is true, you're still pushing a, a, a heavier car and you've got about the same horsepower as the LF. And you probably have, you know, if you, if you have the same torque, you may even have less torque. So, you know, we're right there. We are right there. And again, with your 430 horsepower or 423 that you were using during the season, you were competitive. The, the, yeah. the bottom line is, is you were competitive with that engine at 425 horsepower. Whereas, if you if you compare a 360, you know, we don't do it the 360s anymore. We had some 360s that were, what, 540, 550 horsepower. But a really good 360 is what? Is it 800 horsepower? Is it 750 horsepower?
1: It's just about, it's like 780, 790. So yeah, just about 800.
0: Well, now you're talking, okay, so you're talking 200, 250 horsepower difference in the 360s where with this, you know, we're talking about 50 or 45 or 40. And so, you know, there's not a huge amount of difference right there. There just isn't.
2: No.
1: Exactly. I mean, and, and the thing with the 305, I, I don't deny a sprint car 305 engine, someone could have one on, you know, 475 or 490 horse or, you know, whatever. But, and even on an accurate dyno, but are you comparing the same 305s? Because when Knoxville was running their 305s, I know they made more power than the, the Race Savers by a little, little bit, and I mean, a little bit depends on who you talk to, could be the 25, 40 horsepower that it's making up the right. difference. But right. they were also right. dry sump motors and, you know, had the uh, different style water pumps and all that.
3: Probably probably had a different head. Yeah, it it,
1: it, it probably did. And, and then let's throw this in. Up here
0: where we race, and Patrick, you know this, up here where we race, and so do you, um, Randy, <laughs> by, by feature time, and we talked about it earlier in the podcast here, the tracks are d- as dry as can be. And, yeah. and and if you've got 500 horsepower, you're going to be spinning your tires you're going to be wearing your tires out, and you're not going to have – You're getting, in fact, you're going to be at a disadvantage. And so, you know, 90% of the time, by the time we get to feature time, it is so slick out on that racetrack that, you know, the horsepower is, 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 is uh, we talk about this all the time, it's secondary. It's just secondary. And If somebody has 30 or 40 horsepower more than the other person, and that's, you know, they're not doing as well, something else is wrong. And I brought this up quite a bit. Four or five years ago, we had our traditional uh, teams, a lot of them went to the dyno. Because we were getting so many complaints that this engine was better or that engine was better, so we went to the dyno and we proved it on numbers anyway. That <laughs> excuse me, there wasn't a uh, an advantage, and actually, the person that did the most winning that year, that uh, that next year, that um, after we had the dyno, was in the bottom twenty five percent for horsepower in their engine.
2: Yep.
0: So you know, how do you explain that? Yeah, tire spin.
1: it's easy to explain just look at what a bunch of other series that they're running open motors and that what's the dominant engine and say for example you know the series that my car's sanctioned under you know uh they're a mod class a crate engine is the preferred engine now which has 200 horsepower less than what they can build because yeah. people know you can't hook up that much power. I you, mean, yeah, you can. Yeah. Say,
3: you can say IMCA here. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. yeah, you, 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 you can. You can. The, you can name the other sanctioning bodies. It, uh,
1: you, you, you know where I come from. And if you mention IMCA, you know, you were the black sheep of the family <laughs> and stayed away from our track. Hey, you, we you, don't want you, you here.
3: You got to remember, we are the renegades, and we are the black sheep
0: of the country
3: right now. So. Correct,
0: correct. <laughs> and, and, and you know, I've said this a bunch of times too. I've got a really good friend who has a series down in Texas. Uh, they have our wing, our wing angle rule of twenty degrees, and they require a ninety-two on the left rear to loosen up the car. And up until last year, they either allowed the three hundred five and or the three hundred sixty. And the 305 was doing a lot of winning in the series. And, and in fact, that is working so well, they got, they got rid of their engine rule. So now they're allowing any engine to come in and, and race with them because they can't hook the thing up with a 20-degree wing angle and a 92 on the left rear. And so horsepower makes no difference. And so, you know, we're halfway there with our wing angle because we do have a 20-degree wing angle rule with our, with our wing series. And it seems to really help even things out. And so, yeah. again, it's probably the third time I said it, Patrick. You were extremely competitive out there, and you got faster as the year went on, simply because you were getting more laps. And Boy, again, we were, we were revealed to people that you were racing with a 425 horsepower engine.
3: Yeah, yep. and that, I, that I was mean, the I, uh, I... that was the what's the name of that series, Ron? The Southern Bandits or something like that. Uh the Sprint Bandits. Sprint
1: correct. bandits. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So yep. what I gather out of this, Ron, is next year I'll be able to show up with a four ten cubic inch engine and you're not gonna, you know, send me away.
0: Uh yeah, we will.
1: Well no, yeah, you gotta keep
0: going south. Just head down to Texas and you can do that. <laughs> so um, Well you don't have to go no, quite time, that far south what we're trying to show everybody or, or tell everybody is that we think we're really, really close with this thing uh, because of some of the uh, rules that we put in place, and we believe the 305 really fits well with uh, it, with our brand.
3: And honestly, we- it, it, it actually sounds to me like the 305 gets a penalty for having injector stacks because, yeah, the motor's 35 pounds lighter, but the, the car has got to be – Fifty-five, like fifty-five or seventy-five pounds heavier overall, right? So right. it's it's actually giving up every bit of horsepower advantage because exactly. it, it's racing against cars that are 50, 50 horse stronger and twenty or twenty-five ho- uh, foot pounds of torque stronger and are lighter. Correct. So for the three hundred five to be competitive it it says a lot about more so the driver and the setup than it does about the engine package.
1: Well, exactly. I mean, and and the perception of the people that show up with race saver cars and, and are the race saver cars faster, the race saver cars faster. Well, as we discussed earlier, I ran about the same horsepower on basically what our front tires were, if you froze them, so they were like hockey pucks on the rear for dry tires for many years and zero downforce. I mean, Randy will vouch for me for that. Them 35W tires, I mean, you—they're—they're they're horrible tires. I, I mean, up. you can't hook up if you want.
3: I actually got out of it before the 35Ws came in. So even the plastic tires that we had when I was still running didn't hook for diddly. You you could get three nights out of them, and then they were pretty much wall decorations.
1: I, I mean, so a lot with me where I got to excel really well is basically I always ran my super stock. I had a lot of corner speed. I couldn't ever figure out how to get traction off the corner to pull down the straightaway, but I knew how to roll a corner smoothly and that. Well, the transition to the sprint car was pretty easy then because you're rolling the corner a lot and trying to keep your momentum up. Yep. But if you get to a situation on a drier track, I have the same horsepower as I used to have, but I have like four times as much traction. So, I mean, yeah. the throttle control I learned in super stocks, I didn't need to relearn it for a sprint car because we're so limited power and, you know, you got more tires than I was ever used to.
3: Yeah, the, the biggest difference that you had between the Superstock and the, and the Sprint car was the characteristics of the way the car handles.
1: Oh, yeah. B- big difference. You do not want the Sprint car to uh, pin the right front on entry. I learned that the first time ever I got in one. <laughs> it turns right through the wall and feels like you're going to flip end over end. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, that, that that's the thing is, and if you look at the guys that have the race-saver cars, that like, no, uh, take the... Uh, Take Schroeder, that won the one night at the Legendary. He ran late models before. Yep. Um, so right there, a late model takes a lot of throttle control, a lot of carrying the speed. You know, uh, take Jeremy Schultz, who picked up a win this year early in the year. I mean, he wins when he goes with the race saver cars. Yeah. Um, like, like I said, Chase, he won the championship with the 360s. You know, the guys that have the race saver cars, aren't necessarily the cars have the advantage. The guys that are in the cars know how to get the most out of their car. They have, I mean, yep. a few of these guys with race saver cars, I would hate to see them get in an LS and go compete against them with 50 more horsepower.
2: <laughs> yep. know. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and we want to remind everybody too, that the 305 one with our wing series this year, the LS one with our, wing series this year. And so did the short block Chevy, uh, Jeremy Kersman, you know, he showed up real late in the season this year and I, I think it might've been the first night that he ever ran the wing yet this year, he went out and he won a, a feature with his short block Chevy. So three out of the four engines that race with us, um, one features this year, the six Oh four, 10, But Mike Mueller was still very fast with that six Oh four. And so again, you know, we got we got some really good parody going here you with know,
2: this
3: program. Something else I want to mention to remind you, everyone, is that there were wing races won by guys with non-wing cars that didn't make the carburetor switch. They won, they won races yep. with the LS with the two-barrel on it with That's the right. wings on. It.
0: That is correct. You weren't supposed
3: to tell anybody that, Randy. Hey, you know what? <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've got to put it in perspective, though, because the LS with the I two know. barrel made four hundred and thirty foot four hundred and thirty horse on the dyno.
0: It did. And it the did. It just over four hundred horse. Yeah.
3: It made the same yep. basic numbers as the Race Saver three hundred and five.
0: Correct. Okay.
3: So an el- yep. injected alcohol three hundred and five and a five point three LS motor with a two barrel. Run about the same basic horsepower numbers, but now that now that 305 gets that weight penalty. Yep. So that equals that out a little bit, in my mind, anyways. But now I agree. uh, Well, it's even more of a penalty.
0: Not only is Patrick uh, racing with less horsepower, but more weight. So he's got you know he's he's working with two penalties, if you want to call it that.
3: And, I mean, if 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 you really want to set people on, on their ass, um, let, the, let the race saver weigh 1,500 pounds like everybody else. And just. Well, I, I
2: don't
1: like the idea of that because I can't even get down to 1,550, and that's all I got to weigh right now. We cross the scales, and Rod's yelling at me, you have a fire system, right? You got to weigh 1,550, and he looks at the numbers, and it was like 1,623. He's like, yeah, it don't matter. <laughs> I mean, and, and a, lot of, a lot of people don't know me away from my car. I am almost 6'4", and I'm 220 pounds. So you know. compared to a guy yeah. like Harry, I I physically cannot get my car down much more in weight to make up for being able to, if someone says, oh, well, we'll let you be lighter because you have less horsepower. There is there's that factor that I will always have the handicap because of my size. It's like, if I went to go be a jockey on a horse running against a four foot guy that weighs 300 or weighs 90 pounds.
3: Yeah. (laughs) Your horse is going to look at you and go, no.
2: (laughs) At
1: the end of the <laughs> season, my horses is to have a throttle pedal so that you know at least I'm in control when the things go crazy and you crash. But I mean, to, to expand on your uh, all four engine packages, one this year, Ron. Uh, do you have the list in front of you right now? What the final points were for the wings?
0: I don't. No, I do not.
1: I sorry.
3: Is it on the off website? The top
1: of my head. Harry was the champion. I was second. Mueller was third, and I think Kurzman was fourth. Now, Kurzman, with his small block Chevy with the B mod style engine, he missed one night at the legendary. So oh, I don't. I didn't know that. Right, 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 right. There you have a LS, a Race Saver, a six hundred four, and a small block Chevy. All right, there at the end of the year. Yeah. Right there, yeah. together.
0: Right you know. I I know Mike was in the top four or top five for sure, um, and and I want to say this before I forget, you know, because uh, I got a great memory. It's just really short, but at the at the end of the one hundred, uh, after the last night, I had a, an owner of a car come up to me and go, "Can I buy a three hundred five for next year?" You know, because back then, you know, there was a lot of people. There's a lot of rumors going around on what we were or we're not going to allow in 2021, and I said, absolutely, go on buy a 305. But compared to what you have right now, you are you are going to be penalizing yourself by going out and doing that. And we just proved that now. We just proved that. Yep. The owner of this car has an out very good LS engine in this car, and uh, they do a lot of winning. And so, you know, again, we hadn't had it on the dyno yet, but. When I watch a race, I watch it differently than most people do because I have to. And you know that that the, the, the start and the restarts and all that you gotta. I watch it differently though. The cars coming out of the of the turn two and turn four and you know again I just I don't see an advantage out there. I just don't. It was uh, the night that Kersman won. I think it was the Friday night before the Richard Memorial. We had a. Uh, Yellow flag with five laps to go. And Kersman was first and Chase was second in his 305. And I thought, now I'm going to be able to see if what everybody's telling me is true, that the 305 is going to kick everybody's butt uh, off the start. And Kersman, Kersman hit the uh, gas at the uh, the cone where, where they're supposed to in between three and four, they hit it at the same time and, and Chase, Chase did not gain at anything on Kurzman on that first lap, and so you know that proved to me that some of these people that were saying the 305 is going to kill everybody at the start of a race, I didn't see it. I did not. Everything that people are worried about, I have not seen with the 305. Basically,
1: and I mean, I people say I'm biased because I have a 305, and watching videos, you know, being in the car. Um, even when we talked before the year, I was telling you that 305 is a handicap. Well, now once you actually get in the 305 and can run, you realize it's not as big of a handicap with the rules in the series, with the wing angle rule, with, uh, how everything plays out, the weight difference, it ends up not being a handicap. I mean, you're yeah, and just in the, tra- just and the track that we're at too, you know, that way. dryness.
0: Go ahead, Patrick.
1: Yep. So, so if you if you bring it back, who ran the fastest lap of the year? What engine package? Uh, the LS. We'll go just. We'll go just Cedar Lake because you know Superior was slick, so that don't really. And we only ran it well, once, but yeah, uh, LS uh, ran. What was that world World of Outlaw late model lap times around there?
0: Well, so here's here, here's the bottom line. When the World of Outlaws were at Cedar Lake Speedway this past July Fourth weekend. I believe the best lap that weekend in time trials was 11.3, all right? Our best laps that we are turning with the LS engine, um, and we don't get time trials. This is during the heat races when the uh, track is better. Uh, Fastest lap we've run yet is about a 12 flat, and we've done that two or three times. And so just think about that. That's 7 tenths of a second slower with a $6,500 engine compared to, you know, fill in the blank on a World of all
1: engine, that's pretty incredible. Exactly. I mean, and, it, and that's the other, like, not to get off track, but when we talk about perception of this engine to that engine, some of these other tracks that, you know, we could go run some shows at, they have the perception that, oh, well, we're not a 360 or a 410. Fans don't want to see us because we're not fast. Well, we went to Superior, and we ran, what was it, two-and-a-half-second faster lap times than uh, the Modifieds? I mean, we're right up there with the other cars that come, the sprint cars, on the same track conditions.
0: Yeah, The, the Traditionals, without the wing, are faster than a Modified and about as fast as a late model. And our wing program with the wing, you know, they're about they're about as fast as a 360. Let's face yep. it, you know, 360 is about a half a second, three quarters of a second slower than a 410, and that's about where we're at. You know, a good 360 I'm hearing now is seventy thousand dollars. Okay, yep. And let's move we've got some guys that have ten, eleven thousand dollars into their LS engine. And they're running as fast as a $70,000 360 engine at Cedar Lake anyway. Okay. Yep. And so, um, you know, there were some people from um, different tracks at the 100 that, you know, I went up to them and I said, you you need to be out there uh, and watch our wing program and see what they do. And I had a couple of them come up to me and go, man, I didn't think they would ever be that fast. And so it's going to be an educational process you guys, that, uh, we have to show these people that we can put on a, a, not only a great racing event, but a fast one. And people aren't going to know the difference. The fans don't know the difference anyway. Let's face it. And, um, we had a, Oh, what was it in July, Patrick, when Jack Berger won, it was a, it was a pretty humid night and the, the track was pretty fast. And, um,
1: I think that was the night we had double features right at the beginning, and it was really, really locked down, tacky right around the bottom. The first feature and the second feature it widened out quite a bit, but yeah, well, he was okay. clipping along real good in the second feature, he, and
0: yes, he was. He, yeah, I think you're right, actually. And 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 I had one of the owners from Cedar Lake Speedway come up to me and go, "You cannot even tell the difference. You cannot." He says that that. That, that looked like a world of outlaw car out there. And so, you know, we've done our job with this thing. When, when we started this thing at the beginning of 2019, I had no idea what, I had some idea, but I didn't know what it was going to sound like. I didn't know what it was going to look like. And I was concerned about what they were going to uh, look like to the fans, you know, taking the green flag and, uh, on an on a original start and on a restart. I, I, you know, and then we put, Joe, we, we put Jamie Oxton in, in a car this year. One of our cars. And he says the only thing he can tell the difference in is when you first hit the gas, that it's not quite as fast to respond as the 360. But even Jamie said, this car is every bit as fast as the 360. And so we've done our job, you know. We brought the cost of the thing way down. Not that it's cheap, because it's not, um, but we brought the cost way down. We've kept the speed up. And, uh, you know, I'm just really proud of uh, all the teams that have put cars together and how they look and how they're racing and we're so far ahead of where I thought we would be at the end of the second year I'm, I'm just tickled to death of where we're at. Did I lose you guys?
3: Ah, yeah. uh, no. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, 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 I had my microphone on mute because I was doing other things and didn't want to make a bunch of noise in the background.
2: <laughs> <And> so... <laughs> So you know, I, I
0: you know I, I appreciate all of Patrick's insight on this, and it puts some things into perspective, and it helps me too on some decisions that you know we're going to need to make going forward. And again, our goal is try to try to freeze these rules by the, no later than the end of 2022. I don't think we'll be there by the end of uh, next season, but uh, 2022, I think we're going to be in pretty good shape to to do what we need to do to to freeze everything, and. You know, we, we, again, like you said, Randy, earlier, we're renegades. We're doing something in sprint car racing that nobody else is doing in the world. And so we've got to get this information because we can't go to XYZ series that does, the, does things the same way we do and go, you know, how you doing there? You know, we're the ones that are blazing the trail on this thing. And so it takes time. Yep. And it was the same way with the traditional program. And again, I can't tell you how happy I am with the program. Um, you know, again, people said at the beginning that it's never going to work and it's going to be slow. And I have people coming up to me saying, why are you, why are you spending so much time on an underpowered wing sprint car? I mean, I, I, as somebody who has watched sprint car racing all my life, I, 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 I can't see the difference. I just can't. And so I do see the difference in the racing with the less wing angle and not so much horsepower. I've seen a heck of a lot better racing than you, I think anyway, than than the real fast 410s and the 360s because you guys can race side-by-side. Side. And uh, a lot of times with the 360s and the 410, that's hard to do. So,
3: and Even uh, the 9-1 class has gone to a lot of side-by-side and multi-car uh, yeah, track action. And it just, it, as, as long as the track is receptive to being raced on, <laughs> and things get
0: things get pretty fun to watch. Yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, the, the wing sprint car can race on a slicker track much better than a traditional track, uh, uh, the traditionals can. You know, when we show up to a racetrack, if it's not Cedar Lake Speedway, and sometimes we get a, a slick track at Cedar Lake, and a lot of times we don't. But I tell the track ahead of time, if you don't have a top and a bottom for the traditionals, we're going to be hugging the bottom, and it's going to be really bad. Um, whereas with a wing sprint car, we can go out last and Patrick, I can't remember if we were last. Uh, the wings were last that night at superior. I think they were. And, yeah. but you said it was almost like ice, but you guys raced really well on it. And that's because of the wing on it. And so, well, you know, I, they're two different. There's no two ways about it.
3: And, and that night there was a hockey rink with a curb and a sidewalk.
2: Correct. Well, I agree.
1: Well, I, I'll tell you this much from from being in the car. There wasn't a super big curb at Superior. Superior, especially in three and four, once you get up top there, it looks like there's a curb. But if you watch the videos from some of the cars when they actually got up there, it's just a big dust cloud. It just gets to be barbles up in the top in three and four. But, still, we could run top, middle, bottom, I mean, anywhere we wanted to. I mean.
3: Yeah, I, but but that's kind of what I mean, is the lighter car isn't quite as affected by that as a 2,800 or 2,400-pound late model.
1: Right. Yeah.
3: You know, they're, yeah. they're going to hit it with a lot more inertia and blow through it, whereas you guys can use the sail panels to your advantage and pitch it in there and scrub off the speed before you get there and carry the momentum. And... It makes a lot better racing. I agree. You know, I totally agree. Yep. You know, because once you, once you guys scrub off that, that speed that's going to blow you over that little bit of a curb or the perception of a curb, uh, you can get back into the throttle and steer the car and drive it to the bottom or run it through the middle or just let it carry and see what happens. And, right. The other classes, they've got to fight all that weight because they're trying to make up the distance on the, on the straightaways, and then they got to slow it down so much faster. I mean, they seem to single file a lot faster in the other classes than they do yep. in the sprint cars. And <laughs> I know the four wheel slide isn't a whole lot of fun, but in the, in the sprint cars, you don't see it quite as bad, I guess. I mean, it, it's a little less evident.
0: Well, it needs to be because we don't have fenders. And when tires touch, bad things happen. And so for the most part, there's a lot of respect out there for that. And, you know, and that's what I tell tracks too. When we started the 360 program back in '09, you know, we had some, <laughs> our, our events weren't so great. Um, you know, there hadn't been a lot of sprint car racing in the couple, two, three years previous to that. And, but as we went along, it got better. And the first few uh, wing programs we put on last year in 2019, they, again, they weren't that great. But, you know, by the end of the second year here now, they, they've gotten a lot better and they'll continue to get better in year three and year four and year five uh, to the point where we'll, not only will we be, we'll be faster, but we'll have a lot more teams that have a, a chance of winning. Yep. And that's what makes up a great event. Yep. And, and we're getting there. You know, compared to last year, we did much better this year. And I, I'm, I'm going to believe that in 2021, we'll do even better than we did this year. And I thought we did really well. So Well,
3: hell, take Patrick, for example. He came in with like four races before the night in Superior. And it took Harry 24 laps to find a way to get by him.
0: Uh, Harry passed him with about 300 feet to go in the feature. Yeah, And Patrick led the whole feature. Yeah, Th- that's uh, what I mean. Yeah, is yeah. It? you guys got to keep bringing that up here. You
2: don't think I beat up myself over that <laughs> one enough? <laughs> that that, that I've done up already. Sorry
0: about that, Patrick. That one, will totally, talk about that afterwards. <laughs> that, one, that, <laughs> one, that one,
3: that one, that one totally. That one totally you, wasn't you. You you got beat by freaking 40 years of experience. Well, well
1: that. that That one kind of falls on my shoulders because even if you watch the video, I did exactly what I planned to do because I knew the slide job was probably coming, and I saw how much speed Harry carried in, and I went, there's no way his car's going to stick. He's going to slide right up to the top. Got to turn down the hill and get a run at him. Well, you can watch it on the video coming to the flag. His car stuck, and my car was aimed right at his back bumper, and I had to uh, turn and try to drive back down by him, and I just came up short. Yeah. I mean, it had, I had a little more experience and not been, you know, you're close, Randy. That was my third night in the car. Yeah. Uh, but so, had, had, uh, I had a little more experience. I probably went to turn down the hill as much, and I would have got a little more momentum before I tried to drive by him. And then no matter what his car did, I would have flown right back by him. But that's, like you said, that's a 40-year-old veteran compared to a rookie in a sprint car seeing the checkered flag coming and thinking, this is the decision I got to do. And it turned out it was the wrong one. But I also have a lot of friends that run different outlaw series and some that have ran with the Outlaws and car owners from different series, and every single one of them told me the same thing. 99% of the time when you're out front, you're a sitting duck. So.
0: Yep. yep, yep. That was still a heck of a race. That was a great race, and it entertained the fans, and that's what this is all about, you know? And Let's I, face it, you guys. When we show up at a racetrack, our, our main goal is to make that racetrack money that night. And
3: I, really, uh, I, I really think for Patrick in that in that instance, the the was, two should be followed by an asterisk with a win. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, they, they got their money's worth that night. The fans got their money's worth. The track got their money's worth. It was it was a great race. It was fantastic.
3: And and so, it really was mean, a win for Patrick.
1: <laughs> I mean, you you know way. the most important. You know the most important thing. That your series shows with that right there, Ron. Do you remember what happened after the race?
0: Handshake.
3: I don't.
1: What 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 did I do after the race?
0: I don't remember, Patrick. I do not remember. I have problems with last Tuesday, Patrick. You think you want me to think back to June? Come on.
2: Right. Yeah, you know there's a there's
1: a lot of respect in your series from drivers to drivers. Now. I, I've known Harry my whole life. My dad's been friends with Harry for 30 years. Both me and him, when I stopped my car after I cleared the scales, walked up and congratulated Harry in victory lane and told him he earned it. I, mean, I do remember that
0: now, yes.
1: That, that right there says a lot about your series and how the drivers feel racing each other and that, you know, you can race hard, you can race clean, it can come right down to the end. And at the end, the drivers respect each other.
0: They do. I mean, they do. And I like to call this our series, Patrick, you know, I can't do it without all of you. And, you know, there is a management and a business side of it too. And so you guys uh, lean on us for, to do that. And so without both sides of it, we can't do it. So really it's our series. And you guys right, like are to- you're taking like ownership, ownership of it. And it's really fun to watch that. I I like to call it your series
1: because then when we get mad at someone we know who to take
2: it out on. <laughs> hey, okay. uh, well, all right, all
0: right. I won't take that any farther. I get it. I get it. <laughs> Dude, guys. You guys are keeping me pa- you guys are keeping me up past my bedtime now. I gotta go to work tomorrow. I,
3: I was just gonna say your wife is gonna kill me why is that because <laughs> it's eight o'clock you were supposed to turn into a glass slipper like half an hour ago <laughs> how do you know i haven't <laughs> well i
0: uh,
3: haven't i haven't heard cinderella yelling over your shoulder yet so
0: no, no, not yet, but I can see her waving at me. Come on, what are you, gonna get in the house? What are you doing? I thought you were only going to be an hour, she, she says
3: She's going to call an ambulance <laughs> and have him go out to the shop.
0: <laughs> but, no, yeah, I, again, it, it, it's fun to be a part of the podcast again. Randy, thank you for doing this for the brand. You do a great job. Right. Um, Pat Yeah, absolutely. Patrick, thanks for being on the show tonight, the podcast, and, you know, Uh, educating everybody about the three Oh five and, and help me understand it better too. And so, um, it's fun to be a part of this again, Randy, thank you. And, um, you know, look forward to, to being part of some more and, uh, getting some other people, uh, involved in the podcast and, uh, it, you know, I guess that there's one good thing about winter is that uh, the Renegades Racing brand has the podcast going, and so that's that's a good thing.
3: Well, it's a, it's a lot of fun to do. You know, the only problem I got is got to figure out a way to keep it under two hours. Good yeah. Lord,
0: <laughs> <laughs> where are we at now? Where are we are we
2: at? Are we at two hours?
0: Hour and fifty five. Oh, my God. Patrick, don't talk too much next time. I'm sorry.
2: It's, it, it's on lockdown everywhere. I don't get to get out much. All I do is work and work. So no reason, to get to work. I got to ramble on somewhere.
3: Oh, trust me. You're preaching to the choir on that one.
2: <laughs>
3: anyway, guys, thanks for being on. Uh, yeah, just, but- just a quick recap. 305 is going to progress and be allowed again for the 2021 racing season in the wing division of the UMSS winged sprint cars. So, yeah, and, a- and Kaylee.
0: Kaylee's starting it with the Northern Renegades. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, Randy, but Kaylee yeah, yeah, is starting yeah, yeah, our wing yeah,
3: yeah, program. Yeah, 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 that's not... Wing
0: program up uh, in <laughs> your next woods, and that's, Patrick's going to have more opportunities to right closer to home.
3: That hasn't been announced yet.
0: <laughs> oh, yes, it has. Yes, no. it has. <laughs> oh. No. Oh, you better get rid of it. Don't put this off then for a couple of days. We'll wait until the... The Facebook video comes out about it. <laughs> See?
3: You're getting ahead of us here. <laughs> That's why I was trying to talk over
2: you.
0: <laughs> oh, I thought uh, I thought it had been. So just, no. just, just just delete me.
2: Just delete me. I'm easy to delete. <laughs>
3: <laughs> well, I've been fighting mentioning it myself the whole time we've been on here. So I'm like, ah, <laughs> But, oh uh, my
0: gosh yeah, for maybe you told me before and i just forgot
3: <laughs> I, I don't think i mentioned it because i didn't think you were going to bring it up but uh oh. <laughs> whatever uh anyway so for 2021 uh, the 305 will be a, continue to be a legal aspect of the upper midwest sprint car series wing division and that means you'll get to see a lot more of the Black and green number 13. Yeah, That's a good-looking that, car. That mean yep. machine Absolutely. with Patrick hiking in at the wheel. Expanding on his sprint car experience and trying to take that win back away from Harry Hansen. We'll see if he can get it done as we get into the next season. This is Randy, the Renegades on Dirt podcast. Patrick Hykenen, thank you very much for coming on and talking about the dyno results with your motor. Ron, once again, always a pleasure to have you on. This is yeah, Randy. Thanks, Randy. For Kaylee. Thanks,
1: Randy, for having me. It was my pleasure.
3: It's been a great night, guys. We're gonna get out of See
1: here. You guys.
2: Bye. <laughs>